Well, happy Mother's Day to all of you mothers. It's a good thing that Mother's Day is a part of American culture. But increasingly, it's shocking to think how much modern America is actually at war with motherhood. And no matter how you think politically, how you identify yourself politically, if, if, if you're a child of God and the law of God is written on your heart and in your mind and you love the word of God and you uh, look at reality through the lens of scripture, you should be shocked. We should all be horrified together on the war that is being waged against motherhood. Not, not overtly, they would never say that, but make no mistake about it. There's the ongoing blight of abortion, which has now claimed the lives of roughly 66 million pre-born image bearers of God. There's the LGBTQ plus movement, which encourages the mutilation of the female body, wants everyone to believe that men are mothers too, and is actively removing the word mother from our national vocabulary in favor of birthing persons. And you, you know that what I'm saying is no exaggeration. That's what's happening in the real world. Real feminists should be outraged that men are taking over women's sports, woman of the year honors, and motherhood itself. The Bible is crystal clear that from the beginning, God created mankind, male and female, as co-equal image bearers of God, that men and women, though equal as image bearers of God, nevertheless have different roles to play in the family and in the church, that children are a blessing from God, and that motherhood is a high calling from God. But a picture is worth a thousand words. So rather than concentrating on trying to set our culture straight um, from the word of God, we're going to focus on the uh, example of Timothy's godly mother, Eunice, and grandmother, Lois, from the Word of God. Dave already read from 2 Timothy chapter 1 where we were introduced to them. But uh, let's first of all remind ourselves, who was Timothy? Who was Timothy? It turns out, uh, Timothy, the the, um, the man whose name is associated with those two pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, his name appears 26 times in the New Testament. Um, he's mentioned in 1 and 2 Timothy, of course. Uh, those letters were written from Paul to Timothy. But he's also mentioned in the book of Acts and Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, in 1st and 2nd Thessalonians and Hebrews. In fact, um, that totals 11 New Testament books. So out of 
27 New Testament books, Timothy is mentioned in 11 of them. So he's quite an important figure in the early church and in the, the shaping of the canon of Scripture and the, the doctrine of Christianity. But uh, I'd like to introduce you to when he is introduced to us on the scene of redemptive history in the book of Acts and chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. The context here is Paul's second missionary journey. And we read from the pen of Dr. Luke that Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there, a follower, a learner of the Lord Jesus Christ named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. So she's going to be named for us in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. Her name's Eunice. But we're told here that she was uh, Jewish by birth and that she was a believer. And so she was a Christian. She was converted probably during Paul's first missionary journey that we read about in Acts chapter 14 when uh, Paul stopped in Lystra the first time. But then we're also given this bit of his background, that his father was a Greek. And so Eunice's mother was a Jewess, uh, but she married outside of the faith, which was forbidden. She shouldn't have done that. She married a Gentile, a Greek. And then this turns out to be the only mention of, of Timothy's father. And so the uh, development that Timothy experiences in the faith, the usefulness that we see in his life in the kingdom, uh, God gets all the glory, but the instrumentality is due to his mother, his grandmother, and the Apostle Paul himself. His father, his earthly father, is out of the picture. Either literally he's dead or uh, out of the home, or he's just completely uninvolved. But whatever the case may be, um, Timothy's father is just not involved in his Christianity. We also read in verse 2, he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. So if, if Eunice and Lois were converted in Acts chapter 14 during Paul's first missionary journey, then Timothy may have been converted at around the same time. And then in pretty short order, Timothy progressed very rapidly in the faith, in his understanding of the scriptures, in his godliness, in his devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ as a follower, so much so that he earned a good reputation among the rest of the believers in the cities of Lystra and Iconium. And he caught the attention of the, of the Apostle Paul. So in verse 3, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And it's easy to skip over a verse like that. 
But remember, there was a lot of controversy in the early church over circumcision. There were Judaizers who were saying that Gentiles like um, those who were converted in, in Lystra uh, had to be circumcised, had to be brought into the full yoke of the Mosaic law in order to be Christians. And Paul wrote in the book of Galatians that that's another gospel. To, f to require someone to be circumcised in order to be a believer. But it's really ironic that in light of what the Apostle Paul wrote about circumcision, here in Acts chapter 16 and verse 3, he circumcised Timothy. But the reason why Paul had Timothy circumcised wasn't for Timothy's salvation. It was for his usefulness among the Jews. Because uh, for him to have a Gentile father and then to be trafficking around the temple and in and around the synagogues in um, the, the cities where Paul would visit and Timothy himself would visit, then Timothy would have been viewed as an outsider. And so Timothy himself agreed to this so that he could be useful, so that any stumbling block against his usefulness as a gospel worker would be taken out of the way. That's a great example for all of us. We, we need to be willing to go to great lengths to surrender our liberty at times, our personal liberty and comfort, if that will benefit the spread of the gospel. That's what, that's what Timothy did. Throughout um, the rest of the books of the New Testament where Timothy is mentioned, he's called Paul's helper, his fellow worker, his brother, a bondservant, a beloved and faithful child in the Lord, son and co-worker. Let me just uh, give you some example passages. Um, we'll skip past Romans, but in Romans 16 and verse 21, which we'll get to, Paul refers to Timothy as my fellow worker. And he says that, that Timothy also greets you. But then look with me in Philippians chapter 1. We'll look at three passages in Philippians. We're, we're uh, introducing ourselves by way of a bit of a survey here to Timothy. Who was Timothy? Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul wrote, Paul and Timothy. Sometimes we forget that Timothy was such a fellow worker with Christ, uh, Paul. He was such a close associate with the apostle Paul that he, he even sent along his greetings with Paul through these letters, that he's, he's something of a co-author with the apostle Paul, at least of the, uh, Paul's epistle to the Philippians. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. And uh, 
this word servants, it's translated servants in the ESV, is the word doulos, which is often translated as slave in the Greek. And so Timothy, as well as Paul, recognized himself as a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus had purchased him, uh, bought him with a price, the price of his own blood. And Jesus did that not to make Timothy miserable, not to call him into a life of uh, horrible misery, but into a life of the glorious liberty of the sons of God, the liberty of Christian service, the liberty of seeing the kingdom of God advance through the gospel of God's grace through Jesus Christ. That's how Timothy is identified. And then notice in chapter 2 of Philippians, verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. This was something that Paul did often. Timothy would be with Paul at times, and then other times Paul would send Timothy uh, not on uh, meaningless, menial errands, but as a messenger to accomplish uh, important tasks for the Apostle Paul. In this case, uh, Paul's writing to the Philippians from a distance and he wanted to send Timothy to Philippi in person to minister to them, to see what's going on there with his own eyes and ears and then to bring a report back to the apostle Paul. And then in verse 22, but you know Timothy's proven worth. His proven worth. That's quite a description. From Paul, Timothy had proven himself, demonstrated himself to be a useful, fruitful, valuable gospel worker, co-worker with the apostle Paul. Repeatedly, there had been many opportunities for Timothy to prove himself and over and over again, he had proven himself to be worthy, literally. And then Paul goes on to say, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. And we hear this language from Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 1 as well, as, um, as he talks, as he addresses Timothy, in the language that a loving father uses for the son whom he loves. Paul genuinely loved Timothy, and Timothy genuinely loved Paul. Timothy shed tears over Paul, and it was because they were one in Christ Jesus, they had this special relationship, probably because the apostle Paul was instrumental in Timothy's conversion, and then certainly after Timothy's conversion, Paul took Timothy under his wings and discipled him, developed him as a Christian 
leader and trained him up to be a, a useful, fruitful Christian minister. And throughout all of that, their hearts were knit together in Christian love. That's why Paul would use the language that he does here in Philippians 1 and verse 22. And then flipping over to uh, 1 Thessalonians, uh, Timothy is also mentioned in Colossians 1 and verse 1. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith. So here's another example of the apostle Paul sending Timothy on an important gospel mission. But it's interesting how Paul refers to Timothy here, not just as his son in the faith, not as someone who is uh, perhaps on a lower level than the apostle Paul, but Paul addresses Timothy here as an equal. He is Paul's brother in the Lord and God's co-worker even as Paul was God's co-worker. And that's a good lesson for us as well. We make a big deal out of the fact that there are no true apostles with a capital A walking the earth today. The, the apostles fulfilled a unique foundational role in the establishment of the church. And we as believers are being built on that foundation of the prophets and the apostles Jesus himself is the chief cornerstone. But even though none of us is going to be an apostle, we can still all be on the same par in terms of being brethren with the apostle Paul and co-workers with God. God is sovereign, and yet he works through people. God could save any way that he wants to. He could save through visions or through angels or through no media whatsoever, but God usually works through people. And in the sense that we uh, preach the gospel with our fellow fallen human beings, in the sense that we uh, preach the gospel to every creature, we are God's co-workers even as Timothy was, even as the apostle Paul was. Paul, uh, Timothy is mentioned four times in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. But then the last example that I'll show you is in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13. And you'll know that historically there's uh, uncertainty over the uh, the human author of the book of Hebrews. Uh, lots of people think that it's the Apostle Paul. Other people think it's, it's somebody else. But for those who believe that the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 23 is a bit of evidence, and you'll see why. 
Hebrews 13 and verse 23. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released. So Timothy himself was imprisoned. With whom I shall see you if he comes soon. So doesn't that sound like Paul? I'm not advocating that Paul's the, ad, the author of the book of Hebrews, but that does sound like the same way in which we saw Paul describe Timothy previously as, as our brother. And it's interesting that Timothy is this close associate of the author of the book of Hebrews, like he is the apostle Paul. But don't let this gloss over that Timothy himself was imprisoned. Paul was not unacquainted with being a prisoner for Christ, but neither was Timothy. Timothy, we, we see in uh, the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy, that he had a timid, quiet disposition so that Paul needed to exhort him to uh, fan into flame the, the gift that had been deposited in Timothy. But that didn't mean that Timothy was completely silent. Timothy spoke up enough for Jesus, and he was associated with Jesus as a disciple enough that Timothy was imprisoned for his faith. So we shouldn't forget that. And then, of course, the book of Ephesians, the epistle from the apostle Paul uh, to the church in Ephesus, though Timothy's name isn't mentioned there specifically, uh, the book of Ephesians was delivered to the church via Timothy. Timothy was its pastor at the time. He was the overseer of the church in Ephesus at the time. So the bottom line is that this man, Timothy, was instrumental in the formation of the Christian community that received much of the New Testament from the apostles, especially the apostle Paul. He was on the, the ground floor of building and spreading that faith which has been once for all delivered to the saints. Timothy is a very important figure. If Timothy is out of the picture then our Bibles would look very different than they do now. So don't underestimate the importance of Timothy in church history. So that's who Timothy was. But this is Mother's Day. It's not Timothy Day. Secondly, who were Timothy's mother and grandmother, and how did they impact his life? So now back to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 5. I am reminded of your, of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. 
Let's talk about that a little bit. We're not told exactly how Timothy's grandmother, Lois, that's uh, the name of Timothy's grandmother's mother was Eunice, but we're not told how Lois and Eunice were converted. Maybe they were converted at the same time. Maybe one of them was converted first and then witnessed to the other. We don't know, but the one thing that we do know is that both of these godly women apparently ministered to Timothy. And so even though they were in very unideal circumstances, Eunice was spiritually, at least, or at best, she was spiritually a single mom. We don't know Lois's circumstances, but they both ministered to Timothy regardless of their difficult circumstances and probably the, the antagonism of Eunice's husband. There's a familiar passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that uh, I think it's helpful for us to, to think of with respect to Eunice's um, husband, Greek husband, Luke's, I'm sorry, um, Timothy's dad, 1 Corinthians 1, verses 23 and 24. Paul wrote, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who were called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Probably that's an apt description of where Timothy's dad was coming from, that he thought the message of the cross was foolishness because he was a Greek. Didn't make sense to the Greek mind that God would become flesh and then rather than immediately conquering all of his enemies like Alexander the Great would have done, Instead, God in the flesh would take the form of a humble servant and lay down his life ultimately to the point of dying on the cross and, and suffering an incredibly painful and humiliating public death to accomplish the redemption of God's people. But that kind of message is foolishness to the Greek mind on a number of levels. The, the, the level of God doing that willingly, but also on the level that we would need that. Because after all, if you're a logical, reasonable person of the right heritage, like a good Greek man, then why would you need God to become flesh and lay down his life for you. You were a good person. You had it in good with the gods. And so the message of the cross was foolishness to them. So it was in that kind of difficult context that Lois and Eunice ministered the gospel to young Timothy. And then it's good to be reminded as well that Christianity is not spread 
by osmosis or through DNA or blood. Look over in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, another passage that Dave read earlier. Starting in verse 14, actually. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And certainly Paul is including himself there. And he's referring back to the uh, period of time when he was discipling Timothy personally. And it's always a part of Christian discipleship, not just that we impart knowledge into someone's head, but we impart our own selves to someone. Our, our, our lives are a living epistle known and read by all men. And that's how Paul discipled Timothy. But certainly, Lois and Eunice would have been included in that. Timothy knew not only that Paul practiced what he preached, but also that Lois and Eunice, his godly grandmother and mother, were women of God who had genuine, sincere faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They were not hypocrites. They laid their lives on the line for the sake of the gospel. And Paul's reminding Timothy of, of that. But then in verse 15, he says, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, the Old Testament scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And so even though Eunice, his mother, who was a Jew, even though she married a Greek, presumably a non-Jewish Greek man. She shouldn't have done that. She wasn't a complete apostate from Judaism. She taught her son, young Timothy, the Old Testament scriptures. And she understood that those scriptures are able to make one wise for salvation. And then, after she herself was converted. She heard the message of the gospel, presumably from the Apostle Paul, and then all of these dots were connected in her mind and her heart, and she saw that Jesus is the main star of the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus is what all of the Bible points to. Then she began to connect those dots in the mind of her son, Timothy. And then Paul comes along and helps in that endeavor. So that between uh, Lois and Eunice and the Apostle Paul himself, it was loud and clear in, in vivid living color in the mind and the heart of Timothy that all of Scripture is meant for salvation, which is through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. Lois and Eunice had an amazing impact on Timothy's life. 
John Wesley was familiar with the kind of impact that a godly mother could have. He wrote, I learned more about Christianity from my mother than from all the theologians in England. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who's known as the Prince of Preachers, who ministered in England from the mid-1850s to the uh, mid-1890s, he wrote, I cannot tell you how much I owe to the solemn word of my good mother. And speaking of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, it's interesting to hear him say that because he wasn't saved until he was um, an older teenager. You know the story about him wandering into a Methodist chapel and, and hearing um, a deacon preach because the regular preacher wasn't there that day and uh, the, the message was really plain and simple from that deacon and it basically boiled down to um, look to Jesus for your salvation. Look to him. Look to Jesus. And Charles Haddon Spurgeon would write later on, I'm not sure what anybody else got out of that message, but I thought it was just me and that preacher in the room, and I got the message loud and clear. Paul, um, Charles Haddon Spurgeon traced his conversion to that particular message. So it's interesting that while he would say, um, I, can't, I cannot tell you how much I owe to the solemn word of my good mother, he wasn't converted under that solemn word of his good mother. We'll, we'll come back to that. But another figure in church history who's, who is, was very aware from personal experience of the impact of his godly mother was Billy Graham, who said, only God himself fully appreciates the influence of a Christian mother in the molding of character in her children. Huge impact Lois and uh, Eunice had in the life of Timothy. All right, so what lessons can we learn from their godly example? Uh, I have a few brief ones. So number one, should be obvious, we, we see the powerful influence of a godly mother on her children. And I'll just add another quote. Um, I've had this quote in my library for a long time, a number of years. It's, uh, it's anonymous. I don't know who wrote it, but it's really powerful. L listen to this. So one author wrote, she has a more influential and powerful role than any political, military, religious, or educational figure. Her words are never fully forgotten. Remember Charles Haddon Spurgeon. If you were blessed with a good mother, you will enjoy the advantages for the rest of your days. If your mother neglected you and her responsibilities, unfortunately, the impact is almost certainly still felt today. Whether it's good or whether it's evil, a mother's impact is permanent. A child's mother is arguably the most influential figure in their life, giving credence to the old adage, 
the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. That message needs to be heralded in our country today. The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. Powerful influence of mothers. Uh, Secondly, by way of lessons, the Lord is able to bless our faithful efforts even in difficult circumstances. I think this is a really important um, lesson. The Lord is able to bless our faithful efforts even in difficult circumstances, even when we're so painfully aware of how feeble our efforts are. I, I think about Eunice. What could have been going through her mind Um, maybe once she got saved, it would have been easy for her to think, ah, what can I do? Here I I married this non-Jewish man who has no respect for the Jewish scriptures, no faith in the Jewish Messiah, and Jesus is meaningless to him, the message of the cross is foolishness to him, and now here I am. I have this young son, Woe is me. There's no way that God could use me in in his kingdom. How could God use such a failure as me in his kingdom? Maybe Eunice was tempted to think in those terms. But we know that that's not what she did. And then she could have coupled with those Uh, difficult circumstances, the reality of being a woman in the ancient Greek world in the first century, the Roman Empire. The World History Encyclopedia says that women in the ancient Greek world had few rights in comparison to male citizens. They were unable to vote, own land, or inherit. And even though God did not have a low view of women. Many of the Jewish rabbis did and wrote and taught and spoke of women with very demeaning language. And so there's all of these reasons that conspired together to produce these really difficult circumstances for Eunice. And yet, and yet, What Eunice was able to do, she did. She taught her young son the scriptures. And I'll I'll go on to say, leveraging off of what Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 14, remember when he said, and you know from whom you heard these things. Eunice may have thought to herself, but if I tell Timothy what the gospel is, if I teach him the scriptures, he's going to call me a hypocrite. But we, we know what the gospel is all about. The gospel is not all about godly people doing their, their best to save themselves. The gospel is all about God saving ungodly people like us. And then he transforms our lives so that we become obedient and fruitful 
children of God and citizens in his kingdom. And so no matter what character characterized our lives previously, as Christians, it's never too late to do the right thing. It's never too late to obey the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. And that, it seems to me, is what Eunice did. She faithfully and painstakingly taught her son, Timothy, with her mother's help, apparently, Lois, they taught Timothy the word of God and set a good example for him. And that should be an encouragement for you, sisters in the Lord, as well, because I know that we don't all have ideal circumstances. There are broken marriages and uh, other specific, difficult um, situations that you find yourself in. And let me just encourage you that God does not depend on ideal circumstances to use you. Whatever you can do, through prayer, through speaking up for the word of God, through living a good example before your, your kids, no matter how old they are, whatever you can do, do to the glory of God for the sake of your children. Then number three, here's a bit of a disclaimer, and I think it's important to point out. And that is that faithful mothers are not guaranteed that their children will be like Timothy. Faithful mothers are not guaranteed that their children will be like Timothy. And that's important because we could walk out of here with a mistaken understanding that if I only did enough good mothering, then my children are going, to be, are going to be Timothy's. But God doesn't actually promise you that. And the reality that there are, there are also children who are exposed to the word of God like Timothy was, and they go on to reject it. I think about the words of Jesus in Matthew 23 and verse 37, when Jesus said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Think about that passage in the context of, of Mother's Day. Now, I'm not getting into the whole transgender philosophy. Um, God reveals himself in the pages of Scripture, both Old Testament and New, in the male gender. And Jesus was a man. But there's something about God in terms of his attributes and character and heart that it takes both male and female to image. And here's Jesus using the, the illustration of a hen. A hen. Not a rooster, but a hen. A mother with motherly instincts. And he places himself 
in the history of the Old Testament, when God was so kind to Israel and had revealed so much about himself and his grace and his mercy. And Jesus says that throughout that time, I was there present like a hen who is willing to gather her brood under her wings. I was willing to gather you Jews and your ancestors under my wings. And you were not willing. The fault was not with Jesus and his faithfulness, as it were, as a mother hen. The fault was not with God, who often portrays himself as the father of Old Testament Israel and Israel as a rebellious son. The fault was not with the father. If only the father would have done more for Old Testament Israel, then they would have repented and believed. No, the fault was with them. They were not willing. And dear sister, sometimes you need to be reminded just as a reality check that as faithful as you may be, you're not guaranteed that your children will be like Timothy. And then number four, I, I could imagine, maybe, somebody in our culture uh, objecting, oh, here you go. So now you're portraying Lois and Eunice, these two women in the early church, and you're basically portraying them uh, in a way in which their identity and their acclaim is all about men. It's, about, it's all about Timothy. And I would just say that the teaching of the Bible is who cares how much recognition we get as long as Jesus is glorified in and through us. Who cares? Even the Apostle Paul saw himself as a slave with Timothy, by the way. And I'm confident, even though I've never met Eunice or Lois, I am confident that they rejoiced that Jesus Christ has been magnified throughout the ages through young Timothy who was converted and who was trained up under their tutelage and influence and used so mightily by God in Christ's kingdom. I'm confident that they are delighted at the, the small role that they played in that process. Last Sunday, we sang this wonderful hymn uh, Andrew Kaminga brought it to us. It was written by Anna Letitia Waring in 1850. And uh, it begins, Father, I know that all my life is portioned out for me. The changes that are sure to come, 
I do not fear to see. I ask thee for a present mind intent on pleasing thee. And then I think it's a third stanza. Listen to these words. So I ask thee for the daily strength to none that ask denied and a mind to blend with outward life while keeping at thy side, content to fill a little space if thou be glorified. What's interesting about that quote from Anna Letitia Waring is that she herself was never married and never had children. So on the, on the one hand, I'm confident that Lois and Eunice would completely embrace this sentiment, content to fill a little space if thou be glorified. On the other hand, as high of a calling as motherhood is in the Bible and in human life and every single culture and society the world has ever known, still, still, the most important thing about you if you're a believer, is that you are a believer. You are in Christ Jesus. Your life is hidden with God in Christ. You can say with the apostle Paul, for me to live is Christ. Christ. 